You know, you ask the average young person today what a trend is, and they'll describe it as essentially a short form meme. Um, whereas many years ago, people thought about it in terms of you know viral videos and and things, which has become less of a defining you know item in the in the in the short form and in the long form video landscape. Hello and welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Omar Oaks, Editor-in-Chief, with another interview where we bring you some of those interesting, influential and inspiring people from the worlds of media and advertising. Now, more than half of YouTube viewers are happy to watch ads attached to their favorite content creators in order to support them. That's according to new research revealed by the Google-owned online video behemoth YouTube this week. YouTube's Why We Watch report, which YouTube has published to coincide with this week's YouTube Festival, its sort of upfronts event, also shows that over 4 in 10 people in the UK say that YouTube enables them to find exactly the content they want to watch at any given moment. To talk about this further, I'm joined by Kevin Aloka, who is Global Director of Culture and Trends at YouTube, where he tracks popular video phenomena and manages trending content initiatives. He's also author of the book Videocracy, an entertaining exploration of YouTube's most interesting trends. Hi, Kevin. Um, where does the podcast find you today? Hi, I'm actually in London, very, very happily on a sunny day. Yeah, so you're here for the festival, so we're glad to have you. Um, so for the benefit of the audience, what does what do you do? What does Global Director of Culture and Trends do at YouTube? Um, what's your background and how did you get into this role? Yeah, so um, I basically lead a team that works on a wide array of projects that help people find and understand what's popular on the platform from uh, how we surface trending content in our app uh, to researching different types of phenomena around the world and how we externalize that via um, our communications as a, as a, as a business. Um, and I've been doing that for 13 years to some degree. Obviously, the, the work and the platform has changed dramatically over that time. Um, but uh, it involves a lot of data analysis, of course, as you can imagine. But my background is actually in editorial. I started as a, uh, a journalist and a comedy writer, actually, before that, um, many years ago. It's a different life, it feels like. But um, in my time here, um, I've worked on all kinds of different projects um, that are all around kind of this, this nexus of, of trendingness. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Um, and um, who did you who did you write for when you were doing comedy writing? And uh, maybe you could tell us your favorite joke. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I have a favorite joke, but uh, the um, I actually uh, was wrote for the Huffington Post um, back in the day. Um, in uh, they used to have a political satire kind of division, now defunct. Um, and uh, then I was a, a reporter at a, at a site called Media Bistro, which um, I was their television news industry editor. So I used to cover. The news about the news industry in the United States, um, which is a very, very specific beat, um, but an interesting one. They're, that's part of Ad Week now. Yeah, um, that's fascinating. And actually, comedy. We'll get into content in a bit and what does do well on YouTube and how that's changed over time. Um, but comedy is a fascinating area um, where you don't see a lot of sitcoms being commissioned by the big networks on TV anymore. And I wonder if social media has something to do that. But, but anyway, I'm, I'm getting the cut before the horse now. Um, <laughs> now, yeah, you mentioned your role where you lead this global team um, that, among other things, um, you you manage ongoing or experimental efforts across. YouTube's products and communications um, to find and understand what's happening in video. Um, tell me more, what are these experimental efforts and what have you found out broadly? Yeah, I mean, on the, the product side, we work on like how our trending page works, uh, for example, or we're working a lot on shorts right now and how um, we think about um, about aggregating trending uh, short form trends and things, um, which is super fascinating. I think 
you, you know the 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 one of the things that I that I've I've come up against as an interesting challenge across a lot of these projects, which is perhaps an insight in of itself, is that to be able to measure things and, and quantify things, you have to be able to um, to define them very very specifically, which is actually quite hard in in an ever evolving video landscape. It, my my job title has trends in it, for example, and what. I, what a trend means in video has changed in the time that I've had this this um, this this job title. You know, you ask the average young person today what a trend is, and they'll describe it as essentially a short form meme. Um, whereas many years ago, people thought about it in terms of you know viral videos and and things, which has become less of a defining um, uh, you know defining you know item in the in the in the short form and in the long form video landscape you know in the internet video landscape today we think about it less it's less it's it's role and culture is less defined by these individual viral videos than it used to be back when i started um and so you know when we one of the things that we've we've learned over the years is is how difficult and important it is to be able to try to put language around these things um and it's the Part of what 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 comes with that is how diverse the platform is and how diverse our tastes are. You know, we we often like to say that we you know outside of of you know content that is that is inherently problematic. Like we don't make value judgments about what people watch. You know, we like to follow what our users watch, and that leads you into all kinds of unexpected directions of formats and um, and content types that no one would have predicted. You know, I think about back when I started, we were starting to have a lot of creators that were coming becoming popular with let's play content these are the videos you, you you know for those that don't know these are the videos where people are playing video games you're watching someone else play a video game and usually narrating over it um and no one knew even at the company people were like what is this what's happening here like is this a is this something that we want to encourage you know and but the it became incredibly popular to this day it's incredibly popular it's kind of become a modern talk show format in a way um but again, these things like don't these these terms, this terminology evolves over time, and for very emerging trends, um, it often forces us to uh, have to look at what the community is actually describing these things as, and, and some of those terminologies can evolve over time. And you mentioned this actually in your book, Videocracy, which came out five years ago and charted the history of viral videos and tried to explain, I guess the science or even the magic of why some videos go viral. Um, firstly, you mentioned something interesting just now. You, you said that virality, if I can put it that way, isn't as important as it used to be. Why is that? I think it's, I'd say it's become less the defining quality of, of internet video. I think we still have viral videos, but in many cases, the things that we quote, quote unquote, think of as going viral um, are are trends of which there are many different content types, which kind of plays into YouTube how YouTube works today, which is you think about some of these short form trends or even even longer form format trends. We might have seen the same trend, but never seen the same piece of content. It's a much more personalized experience of popular culture. It, it kind of, you know, one of the things that I, I've been I've been grappling with as someone just as a you know communications you know person who's fascinated by the history of, of mass communication is how, how does the intersection of mass media, shared experience, popular culture, and personalization, which is such a key part of how we think about um, the internet, how do those two things intersect? And when, when you think about trends today, it is often the case that we may have had some contact with the same phenomena, but never the same 
but not necessarily the same individual piece of content. Um, you think about, uh, just you, to use a very simplistic example, a dance trend. We might have both seen the same dance trend, but we may never have seen the same dancers doing that trend. Maybe because I'm in the US, I see different types of, of dancers, or because I'm in New York and my music taste tends to skew in one direction, I might see something, whereas you might see something completely different. Um, you know, you for for I think about a lot. You think about a lot of these these trends where people are lip, you know, putting text over the screen. You might see an education creator do one thing and a gaming creator do another thing, but it's all part of the same phenomena. And so, you know, it is it is the case. You know, when you think back to what YouTube is in in culture. 10, you know, 12 years ago, you think of Gangnam Style, you think of Charlie Bit My Finger, you think of these one-off videos, which seemed to be so ubiquitous at that time. But in fact, the internet was just a lot smaller. And today it's so much more diverse that it, those types of videos are less the sort of defining cultural element of, of web video. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because since that book came out, was it 20, 2018, 2017, yep, yep, 2018? Yeah, beginning of 2018, yeah. Yeah. So since then, we've obviously had the pandemic. Uh, yep. We've had the rise of TikTok. Uh, more and more broadcasters are developing short-form content or even long-form content on YouTube. In the case of the UK, where Channel 4, for example, has got this deal where um, they put out their stuff on YouTube. Um, so the market has changed a lot in that time, basically. Um so I want to ask you, have the fundamentals changed for what makes YouTube videos popular, if I want to avoid using the word viral? <laughs> I think that because of the size of audience, I mean, we're, we're talking now in, in 2023 at a point when 98% of online adults in the UK have, um, have used YouTube uh, on a monthly basis. So, you know, that's a... A pretty massive number, uh, and so the addressable audience is huge, which means that a, an incredible you can be a lot more specific now and actually build a big audience around those things. Um, you know, you you have the ability to be a little bit more. I, I I hate using the word niche because it implies this sort of very small specificity. But so much of the things that are so many of the things that are very popular on YouTube start with a very passionate community around them. A lot of our research as a team has become a lot more focused on on communities and active participation around different topics and interests, which is more of the defining quality, I would say, of the YouTube of, of today. Um, and that that those those communities and those interests become a pathway in um, to to content today. So you look at um, a lot of the big channels, the channels that are growing, they're able to be a little less broad than they had to be in the past because the audience is so much larger. And there's obviously a lot more content as well, but th that personalization, the the fact that you are having more, you're having experiences that are more specific to your interests, is the reason why YouTube I think has continued to to grow so much over over that time, and it's what enables that that sort of symbiotic relationship with the creators to grow as well, um, and it's why you know YouTube is is ranked as the number one platform for having content that people identify with, you know, um, in, in the research that we put out this week, because I think that that sort of intersection of interests and, 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 um, and content. So that's, that is where you see a lot of the creators growing is, is how they're taking advantage of these passionate communities and being a part of a conversation and discussion that's ongoing. It's a little bit more of an interactive type of, a, a content experience. Yeah. And um, on content creators, you know, when you when you strip away all the, um, if I can bucket it as 
professional content that's posted on YouTube every day by broadcasters, by your influencers, by advertisers, by other publishers, um, i.e. stripping away and getting to the the user-generated UGC stuff. Um, Has anything changed, have you seen, in terms of what, um, you know, quote-unquote normal people are posting? You know, like cat cat videos is almost like so cliche, we don't even really talk about that anymore, do we? Um, What what kind of content is being posted by normal people and and what insights does that give you into how cultural, how, how culture is changing? Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned the the pandemic being one of the things that's happened since I published that book. The the pandemic accelerated a lot of behaviors that we were already seeing uh, change. And the adoption of video creation as an everyday activity has sort of started moving very, very rapidly at that point. And we're still seeing it grow to this day. The the rise of short form has been a major um, component in that because it's so easy to create content now. Uh, it's just gotten easier and easier. Every year I've been at YouTube, it's just gotten easier and easier for people to create video content. And we're at a point now, and some of this is a little bit, um, you know, has some demographic skews because if you're a truly digital native, your your comfort with some of these technologies is, is perhaps a little more innate. But the act of creating, it has become a pop culture experience. More and more people create content not with the aim of having a big audience around that content, they create content to participate in something that perhaps other people they're interested in or creators that they follow are interested in. So you have two things happening. One, I think these short form trends where people can participate, you know, going back to the dance challenge, which is a little passe at this point, but you know, you think about, oh, that just gives me a way in to participate in something that's bigger than than me. It's like that's a modern cultural phenomena, um, which is, again, less about consumption and more about the act of creation. The other thing that's happening is that the, the tools, the actual like experimenting with creative tools has become a lot more of a commonplace behavior, particularly with sort of the Gen Z demographic who grew up with these technologies. So creating content with video games, using um, filters and effects. YouTube just launched, um, just announced the launch of some new uh, tools that allow you to AI generate backgrounds behind you. These are not made just for professional creators or people who earn a living or even hobbyist creators. They're, they're, they're made for anybody who wants to participate in something and just make something online. The, the That's one of the biggest changes, I think, when I think about um, – where YouTube was when I started and where it is today is this this sort of meta change that's evolved where the our average comfort with being on camera and creating video content has grown so much. I mean, going back to the pandemic, think about how much so many of us were on camera in a way that we may perhaps hadn't been previously. It sort of starts to break down some of these more traditional barriers that perhaps we had um, about how we present ourselves online. Okay, um, so let's talk about the YouTube festival this week. Um, what are the key things that you're in London to talk about for this festival? So the main thing I'm I'm here to share is a, a perspective on this idea of what individualized popular culture looks like, and and to share some of these insights from the Why We Watch report um, that we've just put out that explores in in this time when there's so much so much choice so many things that that people can watch um what is the why why are so many people in the uk watching youtube right like what what's what's what are the behaviors that are driving that and this idea that you know you have the ability to create your own 
personal media universe. The idea that you curate the experience for yourself via your choices online means that you have more investment in it. It's more of a, a reflection of the things you personally care about because of it. Um, and we have lots, I have lots of interesting examples that we were, that I, that I was able to share um, about that. Um, but this is, this is sort of an interesting conversation. I think that I've been having with a lot of, of folks in the industry over the last year or so is this, unique role that, that YouTube plays in popular culture around um, creating experiences around the communities and interests that people are, are, are passionate about and and, um, and why those have been able to grow so quickly. What impact would you say TikTok has had on YouTube? Um, it's obviously a very different user experience where you're being served one video at a time, the whole friction of choice is essentially stripped away and that seems to be appealing for a lot of people. Um, the research um, you've mentioned um, says that YouTube, 42% um, of um, users say that YouTube enables them to find the exact content they like at any moment. Um, so do you, is it essentially, are you kind of doubling down, I guess, on the ability that obviously you're part of Google, the, the world's predominant search giants, you get better and better at search. You allow people to find exactly what they want. You've got this huge content library on YouTube versus just go on our mobile platform and just, you know, you don't need to search for anything. You just scroll and our algorithm will just sort you out. Do you think there's, there's two worlds of video, online video emerging? Um, well, the interesting thing about YouTube is that bec that I think its proposition is that it actually has all of, all of these things. And that's the the... One of it's been interesting to look at the intersection between this stuff because obviously we have a short form feed that exists in YouTube Shorts on the app, and even a lot of that viewing that you're describing, you know, search is a, not a, the largest chunk of these things. It's really recommendations are really what drive. You can ask any creator; they're getting most of their traffic through homepage recommendations, through related video recommendations, etc. Um, and so it is that sort of the connections between the things that you're watching that is that is the case today anytime there's a new platform that that comes in and, and obviously you know the short form has kind of exploded in these last these last few years you start to see how these things intercrack across the platforms memes that exist in multiple places at the same time creators that go from one to the other as they experiment with where they'll be able to um, grow their audience the fastest and also earn a living and and build a, a reliable a reliable business um, and that that's that happens every time um, you know we've got new platforms in, in play but shortform has really um, I think, accelerated a lot of the, the the casual creation that we're talking about it's accelerated a lot of the um, interest in these kind of uh, you know, experiences playing with different types of, of filters and effects and things like that. Um, you know, right now you look at, so one of the things we track is what um, is common about, we, we track up and coming creators, right? So the, the, we call them breakout creators, the creators that are gaining subscribers the most, and we have different thresholds for looking at that. Um, the thing that's common among all of them, the only thing really that seems to be common among all of them is they're all multi-format now. They're all making a mix of short form, long form, some of them doing podcasts, live streams. Um, and we know from, from the research that it's very common for people across demographics to watch content in all of those formats, um, you know, organically over time and some of that sometimes that's context and device specific sometimes it's just preference um but it is it's been really interesting to look at how 
short form and long form. And, you know, we like to, we joke that content's gotten longer and shorter on YouTube. You're watching the trending content, you know, you're watching, people are watching podcasts, people are watching uh, shorts all, all in the same experience. And I think we're only in the early days of understanding from a cultural perspective, what the implications are when those things all exist in the same place. Yeah. Um, and I guess finally, we started the conversation by um, talking about something interesting mentioned in the research that um, more than half of YouTube viewers are happy to watch ads attached to their favorite content creators um, to support them. I guess that, I guess um, what's lying behind that is they're aware of the value exchange and the more ad revenue for them, the more that they can keep the channel going and keep the content that the users like going. Um, is there any work being done to improve, I guess, the, the user experience when it comes to inserting ads um, that, you know, very often still when it comes to UGC content, there's very little, you know, there, there's, there's, you know, a machine is inserting those ads at certain moments independent of context. Um, you know, we've, we've seen obviously, you know, Netflix, which have launched ads on, you know, trying to insert ads onto their vast library of content. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy to do this. Um, is it, is there any work being done to improve that process and to, to, to keep those, those users happy who are quite supportive generally of the idea of advertising, but just makes the user experience just a bit better. Um, I have to say I'm not totally across our, our ads product roadmap. Um, but we, I mean, I, I would say that that is the job of an entire part of our organization is to constantly innovate on these things, um, try new formats. It's, it's, it's an interesting balance of how do you create the best possible user experience for the viewer, the best monetization experience for the creator, and the best advertising opportunity for, for the advertiser. And I think the intersection of those things is you know, the, the key to what the team focuses on when we launch new formats, uh, new types of targeting. Uh, I know that we just, we're as, as part of, um, uh, um, festival this week, we're launching, um, we are, we're announcing that we're expanding a product called demand gen globally. So there are uh, constant launches and things around this, but I think something that is really interesting that I don't think we really, uh, you know, reflect on that much is this idea that the consumer is much more aware of the economics of the content ecosystem than ever before. I, I never thought about that. When I was a kid, I never thought, oh, this, you know, how is, how is Stephen Urkel getting paid? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's not a thing I ever thought about, you know? Um, and, that, you know, young people today and all of us that are, you know, much older than that are much more aware, I think, of the economics of the ecosystem, understand the role. That, that, that stat is interesting to me because it, 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 it implies that the the viewer understands the role of the ad in the experience and what it means for the creator and you know when you're watching a sporting event or anything you, you're never thinking about oh i'm glad they're making money off of this but it's different when you have this deep personal connection with the content because it's a reflection of you in a way like that's why so many of the that's that's kind of one of the premises of this report is that you have such agency in crafting this experience for yourself that what you end up with is something that you value more because it's a reflection of your interests, you know? And so the idea, I, I find that stat kind of funny and interesting because it again implies that there's an awareness that I don't think used to exist, uh, frankly, um, around how the money flows. Um, and um, that's not something that can always be said about, about 
you know, advertising, I will say. No one, people aren't, don't generally have that response in a lot of cases to advertising. So I don't know, it's an interesting thing to follow. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And we've, um, you know, we've published stories this year on the Media Leader where, um, you know, there's been a lot of conversation in the UK about bringing um, YouTube closer into the established TV measurement ecosystem. And um, Barb, the, the TV audience company in the UK, it's developed this definition of fit for TV. And, you know, it's it's been, you know, doing lots of work behind the scenes on kind of looking at YouTube content and saying, okay, what, what defines, what, what, what are the criteria for what is fit for TV? And a lot of it comes down to um, advertising and whether something is obviously an ad and on traditional, you know, linear television, you, you, you can't just kind of, you know, have some really like obvious product placement in an, you know, in a TV show. Something has to be obvious that it's, you know, um, advertising. Um, and a lot of the influencer content, sometimes these, these ads can sneak up on you. And even though in the description, they might have hashtag ad as they're supposed to, um, some of, some of it's quite ingenious, frankly, some of the ads that kind of sneak up on you are just like, Oh, I've been watching an ad for the last 30 seconds. Um, if you're Mr. Beast or someone, he just promotes his own stuff all the time. And a lot of people who work in the industry, have been quite um, mystified as to how, you know, young people in particular that watch YouTube, why are they just being sold to in a lot of these influencer videos? But I suspect um, something that you've alluded to, I think that increasingly people are just a bit more savvy about the sort of thing and they just take it as read that, yeah, the influencer's got to get paid somehow. And if you're Mr. B, someone mega successful, then um, you're, 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 you're going to be promoting certain things. Do you, do you, do, would you agree with that characterization that users are generally getting more savvy, even if it's not 100% obvious sometimes that an ad is within a video? Yeah, I mean, I, to, to, be, uh, to just make sure the point is hit, like, of course, I think it's important that people are following all of the instructions of what, how they're supposed to disclose advertisements and things. But putting that aside for a second, I, I do think, and, and I do think it's, it's true that there's a much more of an understanding when someone says this video is sponsored by someone, you know, that of what that means. It's not just like, I, I think that the, the days of someone saying, oh, that's just someone making some money and I, this is an ad for me. It's more like, oh, that, that it's great to see this brand supporting someone I really love <laughs> the thing that they, the stuff that they're making. And oftentimes, especially now, I think the, the advertisers that are savvy, um, that are working with these creators are finding really smart collaborations where there's an overlap with the their product and that uh, that creator's audience and the community that creator is, is a part of, which makes it even more organic and, and, and seamless because the, these things are aligned. You know, if you're a tech reviewer and you're advertising tech content, like it makes sense, you know, these things kind of fit together. Sometimes, you know, it may just be that you know, there, the, there's, there's, there's a channel that I really love, uh, who makes videos about, um, about gear, you know, stuff that he travels with and things. The channel I really watch, you know, he had a sponsorship recently from a notebook company, which made a lot of sense. Cause when you travel, you like small notebooks, you know, and it, it's just the whole thing felt really organic in that way. So I do think that that is part of an evolving perception of the role of brands and advertising in content that, um, is very different from what I grew up with for sure. Yeah, um, fascinating. Um, and finally, you must be working on another book. 
there's yeah there must be another videocracy part two and you know even if you're not tell me yeah you must get asked this all the time what's i know you 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 poo-pooed the idea that um virality is as important as it used to be but that must be the question you get all the time like how how do i be a successful youtuber what's what's the what's the one thing i need to be doing that i'm probably not yeah um i do think uh, thinking about multi-format is the that is the answer that I give everybody right now. It's different for everyone, but your ability to create a depth of experience and connection and, and grow your audience. I mean, part of the value to your our conversation our conversation earlier. Part of the value of short form is that you can be you can discover new things more easily in that type of a of a feed. And so, as a creator, your ability to you know sort of hook someone that may not have seen your content through a short form and then pull them into a longer form experience and build that connection over time that audience development strategy which is the core thing that online creators do um is is being shaped i think by these multi-format experiences today and that's probably the thing i think the other thing if i were to look forward i i would say you know there's a lot of conversation happening right now about generative ai and what that will do for uh for creativity for the creative process we're seeing so many creators using um generative ai tools as a part of their production flow now that allows them to create thumbnails more easily allows them to edit videos more easily um which will theoretically change the type of stuff that people can create and the audiences that they can they can grow content around so that's probably the most interesting new kind of terrain uh, i'm also personally very fascinated by the emergence of um of, of virtual influencers i think that's something that we're going to see more and more of uh over the next few years you know uh, vtubers or avatar type of creators um that allow people to be on camera that previously perhaps wouldn't have been comfortable being on camera um is a kind of an interesting domain that i think you know i'm paying a lot of attention to as well uh, yeah just on that i mean um how concerned are you about deep fakes and you know ai being used for sophisticated fraud potentially um for all the kind of creative things that you'll be able to do with ai you know we're already seeing it i mean um i know, know you're not the the product guy and i'm sure youtube is working hard behind the scenes on cracking down and content moderation um but just generally if 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 users are just seeing this 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 environment of you know ai created deep fakes um how worried are you about eroding trust in the platform long term I think it's not about the platform. It's about a lot of things. It's bigger, much bigger than the platform. As a, as a human being, I'm very concerned about this. I think we all are, rightfully so. Right? Anytime there's a new transformative technology, especially one like this that comes into play, it raises a lot of questions about this stuff. You know, YouTube has invested a ton over the years in in, in trust and safety and content moderation, and and I think that will position us to be able to try to tackle some of these really complex challenges. Um, as you say, I'm not across all of the different features that we're, we're developing in, uh, on this front. Um, but I, I think, you know, this is the direction where, where we're heading as a society. And these are, these are the, que- the big questions that we're, we're all going to be asking. And I think um, it's up to the platforms to find solutions uh, to deal with them. Yeah. Okay. Um, the YouTube festival is this week and Kevin Oloka is global director of culture and trends at YouTube. Thanks very much for coming on the media leader podcast, Kevin. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the chat. Thank you for listening to the media leader podcast. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts. But just remember, please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode. From all of us at The Media Leader, I'm editor Omar Oaks. Our executive producer is Jack Benjamin. See you next time.